0: The following message is from a guest speaker of Emanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. Today I want to talk about leadership. And I think sometimes when we hear the word leadership, we think to ourselves of positional leadership. People who are in positions, whether it's your boss or a pastor or what have you, And we don't recognize that based on how you come away with the definition of what leadership is, that in a sense, all of us can be leaders. To me, in my opinion, which does not make it right, but just in my opinion, I think leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. Leadership is the kind of influence that leads to results. So you can be a leader in any fashion or form when you are influencing people towards someone or something. So I wanna take a test now, if you're under 25, do not answer any of the questions that I'm about to ask because this won't go over as well as I would like it to. So if we could flash up that slide. All right, now you guys, ooh, I know who that is. Okay, don't say anything. All right, so I'm gonna ask anyone 30 and over Uh, If you can tell me who this is, and uh, if so, I will let you take me to lunch. Okay, so, uh, the first gentleman, uh, does anyone 30 and above know who that is? Uh, You do. Okay, Uh, anybody, go ahead. Okay, but what's his name? Okay, all right, well, there goes my lunch. Anybody, please, I'm hungry. Uh, In back, I heard, I saw anybody. Uh, that is Kabe Lemay. it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, well, he, this is how important he is. He has 81 million followers on TikTok. Did you hear that 81 million? I think that's more than voted for Joe Biden in the last election. Okay. 81 million followers and over 1 billion likes. That's a lot of influence that he has there. Uh, the lady in the upper. Right-hand corner, right? Did I get that right? Left, right, yes. Okay, Uh, does anyone know who she is? Oh, you guys are good. Okay, so we're gonna go here. Anybody know who she is? Go ahead. Yes, that's right, exactly. Uh, She also is an influence in this. She has 75 million followers, which is also more than the people who voted for Trump in the last election. She has close to 2 billion likes. Can you imagine 2 billion likes? There's like 8 billion people on the planet and a quarter of the planet kind of likes her. (laughs) Just to kind of put it in numbers, right? There's an influence, right? Uh, and the last one, we've actually had her in my house, believe it or not. True story. Yes. Uh, Does anyone know who she is? Okay, you, you did it like, ooh, that's really cool. Do you know who that is? Yeah, Char- Charlie L- L- D'Amelio, if I'm going to say that right. I don't really, I don't really know. Uh, during COVID, she did a dance special online. And so my daughter, who's a dancer, actually had her in our house through Zoom. So I know you're kind of like, wow, you're really important. But she was in my house. Now, listen to this. She has 116 million followers. Unbelievable, and 9.5 billion likes. And she's only 19. Influencers. These are people who have influence, maybe not on us over 30, but at a younger age, a lot of influence. These, in a sense, are leaders just by the fact that they are so far out there. Now leadership, let's go back to this. Leadership is influence, but I wanna say something about Christian leadership. Christian leadership is influencing people towards conformity to Christ. So even though we saw those three influencers who are actual leaders in a sense, We don't want to just talk about influence. We want to talk about influencing toward conformity to Christ because there are two types of leadership. There's positional leadership, which again, your boss might have or a pastor might have, and many times that kind of positional leadership can be based on personality or eloquence or just the fact that they got the job. But today I want to talk about influential leadership, leadership that gets results leadership that brings about change that we're looking for. Because the one thing I wanna say, the difference between influence and influencing people towards conformity to Christ is this, religion changes people's lives, but Jesus transforms hearts. Did you catch that? Religion, changes people's lives. I became a follower of Jesus in college and it changed my life. How so? Because I started going to church. I went to small group Bible studies. I started to read my Bible. I started to pray. That changed my life, but it didn't necessarily change my heart. It was that relationship with Jesus that began to transform my heart so that my religion wasn't just something that I do, but it actually became a part of the fabric of my life. And that's where we want to get to when we talk about leadership and influencing people towards conformity to Christ now with that in mind the question then is because we're going to look at Nehemiah why do you look at Old Testament Nehemiah as an example of someone who helped us become more conformed to the image of Christ so we'll look at that as we go through this but I want to paint a picture of what's actually happening in Nehemiah so take out your phones which back in the 80s when I first became a Christian (laughs) it was take out your Bibles but trying to understand technology today I might be one of five people who have a written copy. Anyone, a written copy here, really quick survey. Okay, there's two of us, three of us. All right, just the three of us. All right. Well, maybe we'll be influencers and people will bring more next week. I don't know. Either way, pull out your phone, open up to Nehemiah chapter one. And I'm gonna be reading out of the New Living Translation. It should also be up here as well. I'm gonna read it from here. And I wanna give us a picture of what the crisis is, what's happening in the time of Nehemiah. It says this, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So what I want us to see is this, is Nehemiah, and we'll see where he's at in a few minutes, has come across his brother who's visited Jerusalem. And on the return trip, he says, Hey, bro, what's happening back in the city? And his brother says, it is not good at all. The city is in the midst of a crisis. The walls are broken down and the gates have been burned. Basically, the people are living... In an unprotected state, their enemies can do whatever they want. They can come in and do whatever they want, whenever they want, and however they want. Now, how important is that in today's cities? Not much, because really, we don't even have walls that keep our cities. But we do have walls around our homes, right? So I want to ask you a question. How many of you last night went to sleep with your windows wide open, lights on, and the doors unlocked? Wait, he gets afraid of something? Well, it is cold. That is true. You had to bring the weather into it. <laughs> it is cold. Okay, fine. How about earlier in the week on Wednesday when it wasn't cold? <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's one of those things that we just don't do. And there's a reason because we fear that someone might actually come into our house while we're sleeping and take something out or harm us. We lock our doors. We close our windows. So if you can imagine... Living in a city where you have none of the protection that you'd normally have and your enemies can walk in and out whenever they want, that's a crisis. So Nehemiah hears, oh my, these guys are in the midst of a crisis. This is not good. This is wrong. So what is the problem here? The problem is is that people are in trouble and so is God's reputation. So this crisis to Nehemiah is not just about people, but it's also about the fact that the reputation of God, because when the enemies of the Jewish people are around, they say this, where is your God? Where is this God who is supposed to protect you? Where is this God who is the one who watches over you? Seems to me that he's pretty absent. And so when Nehemiah hears this, the crisis is not only are the people in trouble, But God's reputation is being messed with. And so how does he respond? His response is pretty simple. Nehemiah, as we will see, will be waiting on God, waiting for his direction. Because to Nehemiah, I would imagine he's thinking, what are my options? What are my options? Because we look at this story and we might read it and go, well, obviously he's just going to go. What else is he going to do? He's a problem solver. But I don't think it's that easy. I think he actually spent time waiting on God, listening to what God would have him to think, say, and do in the end. Here's why I think this. So let's look at these verses. The time, this is the first thing that I want us to look at. So The time is this, uh, and I'm gonna read it from my version here because I think it says even a little bit better, a little bit more clear. It says, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, In other words, let's say October, November-ish or November, December, if I get it correctly, November, December. And if you go to chapter two, verse one, we'll read these words. So in that first chapter of Nehemiah, what we see is he gets the news and now he's finally gonna respond. And it says this early the following spring in the month of Nisan, in other words, March, April. So for a four month period, there's something that's going on with Nehemiah where he hears the news and he actually responds with a plan of action that's very clear and very specific. And what that tells me is in that four months, Nehemiah did a lot of thinking and waiting on God, waiting to hear what God's direction would be because there are a whole bunch of factors that literally prevent him from picking up and going. For instance, I guess if we brought Richard into this for a moment, if someone in the midst of our praying suddenly felt this, this stirring in your hearts, I want to, I want to help Persians, I want to help Richard and his family and I, and I want to help reach Iranians. And in the midst of all of that, if I'm going to do that, you know what, I can just pick up and go. So literally today, someone may have felt that stirring and they could get up and go. Not so easy for Nehemiah. So there's a time issue of something happening, but there's also a distance issue. Go back to verse 1 of chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this, this all happened while he was in the citadel at Susa, which basically means that Susa was 800 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, how long do you think it would take you to travel 800 miles by car? If you're doing the somewhat speed limit. Some of you like, you know, it'd take me about six hours. Okay, you're doing a hundred and something. Yeah, but, and, and a normal travel, 800 miles. 13 14, 13, 14 is that like 55 miles an hour? Cause I'm thinking I do 80, bro. <laughs> driving <the> <laughs> yeah, that's driving the speed limit. Okay, you're an honest man. We love honest men. May you be honored by that. Just stick into the far right light though, please. <laughs> Okay, some of you did get that, right? Okay, uh, good point though. So 13, even, the, even if you went the speed limit, it would take 13 hours. If you drive like me, I'm gonna say a little under 10. I'm gonna say a little under 10 because state police allow you to do, you know, like, you know, up to 80-ish, right? Uh, don't get, if you get a ticket for doing 76, I'm not paying for it. You're on your own. But I'm just saying... 10 hours, sometimes you tend to go a little more than that. If, if you just. So it's a very short journey, but back then it's not. You were lucky to do 20 miles a day. That means for 40 straight days, 20 miles a day, you could do the 800 miles, but it doesn't work that way. This is probably a three month journey. So when Nehemiah hears the news, he's so far away, <coughs> I don't think he goes, oh, I'm just gonna go to Jerusalem. I got nothing else to do, I'm just gonna go doesn't matter about the distance. I'll just pack my bags and leave. I don't think that's happening. But it's not just that that makes me wonder that. It's his reaction. Look at his reaction. Verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, when he says some days, I don't think he's saying like, yeah, like once, uh, once in a while in the four-month period, I fasted and prayed and left the morning. I think for four months, this crisis so gripped Nehemiah's heart, he could not stop. I just started listening to a podcast, In the Land of Lies. It's kind of like one of those true crime uh, podcasts, and uh, I'm not going to give anything away by saying it's about a police officer who was accused of a crime. And they were talking to his wife and she says, he's been in prison for 29 years and I still miss my husband. And I cry every day because he's locked up for a crime that I don't believe that he committed. That's kind of the burden that she had for her husband. It's somewhat similar to the burden that Nehemiah had for his people because I think over this four month period until he finally got direction from God, that he actually wept and mourned and prayed and fasted consistently because he was so bothered by the fact that he had people who were in crisis and God's name was being shamed and it bothered him and it just bothered him so much that he continued to cry out to God. I don't know what he prayed. We'll see that, well, you won't, you won't see it with me, but you'd see it if you read on what he actually prayed. But during that time period, the only thing that I can think of if I'm Nehemiah, is God, what do you want me to do? This is wrong. This is disturbing. This is troubling. I'm very bothered by this. I can't sleep. I'm crying out to you on a daily basis saying, God, what is it that you want me to do? Now, what bothers me about this, when I look at Nehemiah, And I raised this question, it's this, when was the last time I responded to a crisis like this? And as I was preparing this, it struck me, boy, it sure has been a while. It really has been a while when I'm struck by something so much so that it grabbed my heart that it would make me be like this. And so when I look at this reaction that he's having, it tells me that Nehemiah is not gonna be someone who is impulsive and just does something because he wants to do something, but he wants to do something that is influential, that has results, that something actually gets done because it's easy to get stirred up about things, but hard to continue along that path even now I'm thinking to myself, it reminds me of the days when I was at Moody Bible Institute. I actually went there this week, graduated in 1987. The place has changed so much. But I remember chapels. We used to have chapels and some guy would be, I'm a missionary from England. I would think, oh, I just, I want to go to England and be a missionary. And then the next week, some guy would come from the inner city. and be oh, maybe I should be in the inner city. And then it's just, to me, my, my heart didn't stick with it. So as I'm looking at Nehemiah, thinking to myself, what is going on? In his mind and what is going on in his heart, it's this crying out to God and saying, "God, lead me here. I wait for you to answer." But there's another reason why I think he waited. If you go down to verse 11, we learn out what he does. He is, as he says, "I was a cupbearer to the king." Now, the cupbearer to the king is someone's pretty important. In other words, it's kind of like number one, his advisor, but also his poison taster which basically means that when the king is about to drink something, Nehemiah drinks it first. Now, could you imagine have something like that in your life? What does that mean? That means that your life is in danger and you have to have somebody drink your wine and eat your food so that if it's poison, they die and you live. Wouldn't that be an awesome job? How much, what would you do that for? 250 grand, 250 grand graduate college? Be a cupbearer, although you probably get poisoned and die and won't live to enjoy that in your retirement. Sounds like a good idea. No, it doesn't. It's not really it. And so when you have something like that, you have to have someone that you trust. You see, the king has to trust Nehemiah because he doesn't know if Nehemiah has been taking the antidote. Wouldn't that be sneaky? Maybe that's how my evil mind works. But I would think, man, if I take the antidote, I'm good and he's gone. Maybe I become king. You don't just say, hey, you know what? By the way, king, yesterday my brother told me that my people are in crisis. It's time for me to go. Hope you don't mind. And the king says, right on, bro. I'm with you, right? Is that what you would expect? No way. Because the king is going to say, you are one of my most trusted people. Literally, my life depends on yours. So I don't think it's easy. So I, I think in this sense, what you have is Nehemiah waiting on God, crying out and saying, God, what would you have me to do? Here's my last reason why I think he waited. The other guy. This is not when you're dating a girl and there's the other guy, which I hope that that never happens to anybody. But there's someone in Jerusalem who is very spiritual. It's Elijah the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. When you want a spiritual job done, who do you invite to do it? When you want a spiritual job done, who do you invite to do it? Don't make me say the answer. I know you go ahead. Anybody, do you know you want to say the pastor? Good answer. I think I like that answer. Yes, normally, why? Because you know, and I've heard this so many times, it scares me sometimes. Uh, when I hear it, it scares me, period, is like, oh, pastor, can you pray for me because you have a direct line to heaven. Have you ever said that to a pastor? You know what the truth is? We all have the same direct line to God. You do not have to run to your pastor. Nehemiah did not run to his pastor. In fact, he didn't even have a pastor to run to. He ran to God. Now, I'm not minimizing what pastors do. As a pastor, I think we do what we need to do and that's it, more hopefully. But if you understand what I'm trying to say is that there was someone who loved God already in Jerusalem. Why God would you bring this guy from 800 miles away who's doing a lot already where he's at over to Jerusalem? And my answer is I have no idea why God chose Nehemiah other than the fact that he probably saw a man who loved him and would do what needed to be done in order that God's people would be protected and God's name would be honored. And that's something everyone who is here can do. It is not reserved only for those people who are in the special high places of the Christian church kingdom, but for every one of us to play our part, to influence our culture. So this is what I want us to see. After all of that, I think the case is very clear that during this four month period, Nehemiah simply waited on God, listening to what God would tell him to do. It reminds me of the story of Samuel and Eli. Samuel just keeps hearing this voice saying, come here, come here. And so he runs to Eli and he says, Eli, what did you want? What did you want from me? And Eli says, I didn't call you, bro. I'm sleeping, quit bothering me. Even like last night, my daughter at like three in the morning texts me. She says, dad, you didn't call. I responded nicely. But what I really wanted is it's three in the morning. Okay, why are you bothering me? So I got to imagine, Eli's like, dude, you woke me up once. But then it happens over and over again. Eli's like, stop waking me up, Samuel. Understand it's probably God who's calling you. And so then say, speak, Lord, for I am listening. And I wonder if Nehemiah has this story in mind where during this time of waiting, he says, speak, Lord, for I am listening. What is it that you want me to do? Why is waiting so important? Let me give you a couple illustrations of why it is, and we'll, we'll breeze through this kind of quickly. Why is waiting important? There are those who don't wait. Abraham didn't wait. Does anyone want to tell me what happened when Abraham didn't wait? Put it in one word. Did I hear Ishmael? Yes. He didn't wait. His wife said, Come on, man. Let's get this God process moving a little faster. I can't wait any longer. He didn't wait. It caused a lot of problems. Can anyone remember when Joshua didn't wait? Yes. Hey, dudes, these guys, they look all worn out. The food is moldy. They must not be our neighbors. They must be telling us the truth. And then God said, no, you are wrong. And that caused problems for them as well. How about when Saul didn't wait? Does anyone remember than that? Okay, and what happened? Boy, I can't see who's speaking to me. Oh, okay, that's why I can't see who's speaking to you. You're wearing the mask. Okay, yeah, yeah. So wait, 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 wait until I come. Saul goes, no, I'm not waiting. Psh, see ya, Kingdom, go on. Simon the sorcerer. Anyone gets this and you can take me for lunch. Anybody remember Simon the sorcerer? Acts chapter 8 saw the great thing that peter was doing he said man i want in on that what can i do to buy that gimme give gimme give gimme give gimme gimme in a hurry he did not wait on god and it caused problems peter rebuked him so when we don't wait on god for the things that god wants us to do chaos Problems, trouble, there's a whole bunch of chaos, problems and trouble that happens because these four people decided not to wait. So it might be wiser if we waited, but now we need some examples of someone who waits, which is our next slide, David, nine times in his life. He says, Lord, do you want me to go up and do this or not? And the Lord says, yes or no. And whenever the Lord says, and David does, victory. Jehoshaphat, if you remember when I was here last time, we talked about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat confronted with the sense, do we go out to war or do we prepare for siege? Either way, God can do it. And God says, no, 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 no. You go out, you don't fight and watch me take care of this. He waited and nobody paid any consequences for that waiting. Habakkuk, as he looks at the Jewish nation and says, God, what's going on here? You're bringing the Babylonians to destroy them? I'm just going to go sit on my place, and I'm going to wait. And the last words of Habakkuk, when you get there, his words are, even if the apple tree doesn't blossom, I will still worship you. By waiting, he found a place of rest in God. Jesus, how many times can you look to stories where Jesus actually waited before he did something, like the story of Lazarus? And then finally, Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, when they fasted and prayed and waited. And then God sent them off on missions. So why wait and why listen? I think it's important because I see this at my church at Harvest, I don't know if this happens at your church because I'm not here, but I see what happens. We gather, we consult, we strategize, and then we conclude all of this by asking God to give us wisdom and bless our plans. Anything wrong with that? Not necessarily, but it's very us-centric, us making plans, God bless our plans. And yet in this, what God says, and what we learn from Nehemiah, if we want to influence people towards conformity to Christ is this, stop. Seek him, seek him, not a plan, not a strategy, not the options. Seek Him. Listen and then obey. Wait, listen and obey. Why is it important? I mean, most of us, like Nehemiah, are not confronted with the big crisis in life. But I wonder how many of you here, maybe even now, or in the near future, will consider another job. You may be sitting here even considering going to another church. You may be considering a family change, some type of move. It might be something simple, but God calls us to seek him to wait so that he might speak to us as we listen that we might be able to walk in his ways now you're thinking to yourself come on man I don't have any crisis so this this really isn't striking me as much as it should but I want to say this much to you I don't think that God was just kind of up in heaven looking around saying well there's nobody in Jerusalem other than the high priest so maybe I'll just go to Susa and pick Nehemiah. I think what has happened is God has observed Nehemiah closely and Nehemiah's lifestyle of stopping and waiting and listening and obedience has caught God's eye well before this crisis came to Nehemiah's attention and he was ready. There are many times we are not ready for the decisions that we need to make because we really haven't been walking with God. Maybe religiously we have. Yeah, I read my Bible. Yeah, I pray. But let me ask this question. If you're anything like me, let's just be honest about it. When you sit down to read your Bible and pray, what is the first thing you do? You open it up and you read it, right? Is there anything wrong with that? Well, not really. But isn't it amazing how the psalmist just tells us to open my ears that I may listen to your word. Another, there's that moment of silence. And then now God speaking. I don't know, can you imagine coming up to someone rich and famous, and I, I mean, maybe this would be embarrassing, but like the president says, come on to my office and uh, I, I wanna get to know what your idea is on running the country. Now that's not gonna happen, I realize that. But could you imagine running into the, to the Oval Office and you go, let me tell you, Mr. President, all these things that we have to do. And it's like, bro, come on, man. You know, our heavenly father is calling us to himself, why not stop and wait and listen to start? So I can do that, right? How many of you are like me, when your quiet time is over, what do you do? You spend 20 minutes of deep reflection, right? Absolute silence. How many are with me on that one, amen? Oh, i love the honesty i don't do that either (laughs) it's like in a weird way this is so wrong it's, it's it's almost like corrupt in and of itself i say thank god now i can actually do something did you hear what i just said thank god this time is over so now that i can actually do something and i wonder if god goes Did you just not get this time together It's about us being? And then, yeah, you're going to do something, but you already did something. You were with me. It's the the call that Jesus says, follow me, imitate me, be with me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's when he called the, the, the 12, he said, first of all, I'm calling you to be with me and then you'll preach and then you'll cast out demons. But the first and foremost thing to do is to be with me. The primary call of God on our lives is to be with him. For when we are with him, the overflow of that will also carry into loving others and doing something which is why I think it is so important for us to wait and listen, even if it's not a crisis that you're in right now. Because when you train yourself to wait and listen, you can begin to hear the voice of God more clearly. And so I think that's what Nehemiah teaches us because what we want to do is get to a place where we hear God's voice so that when we are influenced by God, that overflow then influences the people around us, not influencing them to do things, but to be conformed more so to the image of Jesus Christ. We're not calling people to do church. We're calling the church, we're calling people to be church, to be the church, to be in relationship with Christ, to be conformed to his image. That is the plan that God has, not just to be with us, but to shape us and mold us and make us more like Jesus. And that doesn't happen in fly-by relationships. It's really interesting, it just popped into my head last Sunday. Um, My daughter, she's in eighth grade, and their youth group teacher is moving on to this children's ministry in our church, and they're sitting on together. And for some odd reason, they said, how many girls have you dated in your life? I said, girl, I don't have time to count so many. One. Uh, No, I'm just just kidding. And and it, it just reminds me that many of those relationships are not deep at all, but flybys. Very little anything in there. That is not what God calls us to. You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, I never really sat down with God and was just with him. Last uh, Saturday, my small group had actually a small group retreat. We spent the whole day at the church office in separate places by ourselves. Just saying, God, what is it? Who are you? What do you want from me? And everyone's like, man, I never get the time to do this. And I wonder to myself, is that maybe why our relationship with Jesus can be so weak because we don't spend the time? I know mine is. I can tell when I had a good quiet time and when I didn't. I can tell when I've actually been with him and when I haven't. Just see how I react So the call. What Nehemiah teaches us so clearly, so clearly is it takes time. So you're gonna wait, it takes time. We don't like to wait, right? You, you know, it's like the old rice cooker, how long does it take? I, don't, I mean, my, my wife does the rice cooker, but that's like, what, about an hour? Anyone on the amen on that one? You can amen on that without being embarrassed. Anybody, but it takes about an hour? Or do you wanna take those little small cups that take about 60 seconds? Which one you want? How many of you get frustrated standing in line You know, if you're like me, when you go to the grocery store and you get behind the person who has the least amount of stuff and you're like, I'm going to get out because you're looking at everyone else around and you're having a race to see who gets out because you could have been in that line, but now you're going to get out first. And then while you're in that line and you're thinking you're about to win, price check, frustration. I'm not going to win. I can't wait. I have things to do. And thank God that we have that iPhone, right? Because now when you've got frustration, you can do something on your iPhone. We cannot be silent. We cannot wait. There's so much to do. And God says, you know what? Wait. I think for me and my family, without sharing a whole bunch, we are getting to a place where we might be making a major life decision and as this decision strikes me, I came across something called the prayer of indifference. And I think if you're in journey group, is anyone here in journey group? Okay, only one? Okay. All right. Oops. Was there not the prayer of indifference in there? That prayer, which says, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do When, when Mary says, you know what? The angel said, you are, are pregnant with God's sons. You said, I am your servant. Whatever happens, I'm on board when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to be thrown into the fire, they say, even if, O king, even if we get thrown in that fire and we die, we don't care. We shall worship God till the end, and that's it. Die, so what? Paul would say, you know, if I, I live for Christ, but if I die, I get to see Christ. I don't care, do whatever you want. Even if whatsoever this prayer of indifference that Jesus himself prayed when he said, Father, not my will, but yours, that your will be done. So this is my encouragement. Let us learn how to wait. If there's no crisis in your life, all the better because when the crisis comes, you shall be ready because you have trained yourself how to wait on God to listen and hear his voice and then move into action. And it happens with that prayer of indifference that says, God, no matter what, I will do what you ask me to do. I am willing to wait. I'm willing to listen.